Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 68, produced 29 June 2020. Scottish history is dotted with famous battles, the names of which still echo in the collective social consciousness, names like Stirling Bridge, Bannockburn, and Culloden. Those battles took place hundreds of years ago, but even today a battle is raging across the Scottish Highlands. It's the battle to save one of Britain's last predators, the Scottish wildcat. I'm Glenn Moyer, and today the Scottish wildcat, also known as the Highland Tiger, is teetering on the edge of extinction with perhaps only dozens still existent in the wild. But this is a battle that you can join. In a moment, we'll meet and chat with Benjamin Jones, staff naturalist and director of the Wildcat Captive Breeding Program at Agus Field Center in Inverness Shire. And we'll learn about efforts to save the Scottish wildcat right here under the tartan sky. Has hashtag stay at home cancelled your plans to visit Scotland this year? We still can't know when travel and tourism will be restored, but there are other ways to experience all that you love about Scotland, even while staying at home. For example, go online and take a virtual tour of a favourite attraction or distillery. Search social media for Scottish groups and forums. Identify and read a book by a new Scottish author. Stage your own whiskey tasting or cocktail hour with Scottish craft gins. Stream Scotland into your living room. Today's services can deliver everything from cinematic marvels like Outlaw King to classic TV comedies like Still Game. Seek out a Scottish travel blogger or two. Their content may inspire you. Try learning Gaelic. The new free app Duolingo is a place to start. Or listen to your favourite podcasts like The Tartan Noir Show, Stories of Scotland, and of course, this one. Until Scotland can once again welcome the world, check out www.visitscotland.com for more ways to experience Scotland and Scottish culture while safely staying at home. To the untrained eye, the Scottish wildcat may appear like an oversized tabby cat, your everyday moggy, as cats are known in Britain, but in fact they are fierce predators. Descended from European wildcats, they were isolated some seven to 9,000 years ago when the land bridge connecting the British Isles to continental Europe was submerged by the rising sea. Once numbering in the thousands, their population has dwindled as they were widely hunted and as habitat change both naturally and man-made, pushed them into an ever-shrinking range, currently including the Cairngorms, the Black Isle, Aberdeenshire, and Ardnamurchan. The Scottish wildcat as a species was given legal protection in 1981. Like the wildcat it is trying to help save, the estate near Bewley, Inverness Shire in the Scottish Highlands, Agus House and Field Centre, was itself once almost extinct. It was standing derelict when it was purchased by Sir John Lister Kay, a prominent conservationist, naturalist, and nature writer, in 1976. 
Today, it is a combination nature conservation project base, an educational center for schools, and an ecotourism destination, hosting hundreds of guests annually. It is also the holder of a private collection of Scottish wildcats, whose captive breeding program is now part of Scottish Wildcat Action, a plan to save the Scottish wildcat. Wildcats have been at Agus since 2011, predating Scottish Wildcat action. That they are there at all is thanks to one Dr. Russell Coop, a bit of a maverick naturalist who once bred and released wildcats in the Dumfries and Galloway region of Scotland. A friend of Sir John, Dr. Coop passed on his legacy of breeding cats in the form of four cats when he was no longer able to continue. And now, just announced barely a week ago, Agus has seen the birth of three wildcat kittens this spring, bringing their population to a total of 11, into double figures for the first time. Benjamin Jones is a staff naturalist at Agus and is the director of the Wildcat Captive Breeding Program. With an interest in the Scottish wildcat since I first learned of it about six years ago, I was thrilled when Ben accepted this invitation to have a chat about this elusive and endangered cat. To put our conversation into context, I asked Ben for the best guess estimate of the current status of the Scottish wildcat population. Unfortunately, not very good. Um, if you look at some of the uh, literature online, that you might find figures that say between 100 and 400. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm immersed in the world of wildcat conservation, and I get to talk uh, well, I'm very fortunate to get to talk to the people who are on the front line of surveying wildcats in the wild in Britain. Uh, and we know that um, the potential best estimates are probably now between 30 and 100 individuals, if they are that high at all. Um, it becomes very difficult because one of the, I'll touch on this now, just one of the biggest threats is hybridization with domestic feral cats. Uh, and that can change a wild cat or it can change its offspring uh, either in its appearance or um, it doesn't have to be necessarily phenotypically. It doesn't have to be in their appearance. It could be um, in other ways, their morphology. And as a result, it can be very difficult to tell. You can't necessarily tell from a camera trap. Um, you, you do need to collect DNA to really back up a cat that looks pretty good but in actual fact could just be a very good-looking domestic cat. What do you think the odds are that there is a true 100% Scottish wildcat out there in the wild? Uh, 100% pure wildcat living in Scotland, I think it's almost impossible. We've got domestic cats here, well, domestic cats that have gone feral, uh, and they've been here for two and a half thousand years. Um, Iron Age people brought them over. It was, it was thought for a long time that it was the Romans, but it, it's, uh, they found even earlier evidence of domestic cats here. So hybridization may have kicked off then, it, it, although very in a very small amount. Um, but it certainly has accelerated in the past 100 years, and it's just been they've just been facing so much uh, persecution habitat loss uh, which has reduced the number so low that if there were any good ones out there they've probably been killed and the ones that we're left with are um well obviously an absolute fragment of what we had before so i think yeah a very slim chance of there being any 100 percent pure ones wild living in scotland today 
Although if you look over to the European situation and you look at Wildcats in Europe, then it is very likely there are still 100% cats out there. Although a lot of populations in Europe have seen some degree of hybridization, but nothing compared to what we have here in Scotland. What's led us to this predicament? What put the Scottish wildcat into the position it now finds itself in? Obviously, hybridization, as you say, has has been and continues to be probably the number one threat to the population. But have there been other factors through the ages, through the years that have brought the Scottish wildcat to this point? Yeah, there's been uh, well a huge number of factors that have changed the wildcat's population over the past um, well, 10,000 years um, since it's recolonized Britain at the end of the last ice age. And, um, you know, we've had changes in our climate, which would have uh, impacted the habitat and the ideal habitat of the Scottish wildcat. Um, we can know, obviously, we can only speculate well, to a certain degree about what the, the habitat really looked like. There's, there's varying um, views. Some people say it was a it was more open. Some people said it was closed canopy and you could almost go coast to coast swinging from trees if you're a squirrel, but that's not necessarily the case. There probably were open patches as well. Um, but during times, um, about two and a half thousand years ago, our climate became much wetter. That would have increased the amount of um, wetland and bog areas that we have here in Scotland. That would have reduced tree cover in uh, certain parts and that would have impacted the wildcats habitat so they they would have been impacted by kind of natural um, climate change um, to a certain degree back then Um, but in the kind of human era since human colonized uh, the british isles uh, stone age men would have hunted them um, as and when they could and then coming up to the bronze age about four thousand years ago uh, Bronze Age people would have started keeping livestock, settling down with farms. Um, wildcats would have presented themselves as a threat to any poultry that they would have had. So a wildcat, um, if you saw it, you probably would have killed it. Uh, not only because it was a threat, but it also had a pretty good uh, looking coat as well. And something that um, you might want to take as a pelt and, and wear, not just because it's it might keep you warm but also because the wildcat um, by scottish clans is known to be notoriously fierce so maybe if you're um, um, savvy enough to kill a wildcat and wear its pelt then it might um, emulate that you're quite fierce yourself so a bronze age uh, fashion statement then huh? <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean i can only speculate it's not that we found any bronze age wildcat um, pelts or anything but that's definitely something that I'm sure happened. Um, and then coming up to more of the modern era, um, kind of from about 500 years ago, people were really rewarded for killing predators and, and not just a wildcat, but anything with tooth and claw and um, talons and a hooked bill. So raptors of all kinds were on were on this list. And the wildcat. Um, the wolf, of course, and the lynx, which disappeared about a thousand years ago. All of these things, though, would have uh, definitely been, uh, you would have, well, you would have been rewarded if you killed them, or it would have been an advantage for you to kill them because you're protecting your livestock. So it's, yeah, faced uh, quite a lot of persecution in the 
the, the past few thousand years. Um, and then when you twin that with habitat uh, fragmentation and, and degradation of the last, um, well, 2000 years, really, um, the wildcat's running out of, of options, really, of places that it can den and places that it can hunt. And that's only been compounded with further human encroachment on the natural world in Britain over the last, well, big explosion of human population in the last um, 200 years. When was the alarm, I guess, first raised that the wildcat was, the Scottish wildcat was in danger? Um, I mean, I've only become aware of, of even the existence of a Scottish wildcat in the last five years, six years. Um, and that's because of my intense interest in my Scottish heritage and, and all things Scottish. I'm sure a, a large part of the world, many of my friends here in the United States have never even heard of a Scottish wildcat, much less that it's it's facing extinction uh, and is endangered. Um, so when did we suddenly become aware that there was a problem for this species? It's one of these things, if you're, you're a naturalist and you've been living up here for a long time, it's something that you probably noticed yourself. You would have seen wildcats here uh, where we are now at Aegis uh, 40 years ago. And we have um, records of that, of all places around Aegis and the glens and straps around here. And Glen Affric being a great place uh, for wildlife. Uh, wildcats were, were abundant there and... Um, our director here, Sir John Lister Kay, he, he's been living here for 40 years and he knows the old uh, gamekeepers and the trappers of this area. And, and they, um, they informed him that they used to catch um, tens of wildcats uh, and they were, very, they were very common here. And so people like Sir John, who's been here for 40 years, he's documented that with his own eyes. And a lot of other naturalists across Scotland have seen the, the demise of the Scottish wildcat. Um, but still, there were estimates um, of potentially thousands of wildcats out in the, the Scottish countryside. And this wasn't really uh, because people were seeing thousands of them. They just thought, oh, well, I'm not seeing one here, but they are quite elusive. Um, so they're probably all over there. And the people over there were probably thinking that they were somewhere else. Um, so really, within the last 20 years, people thought, okay, let's start doing a bit of surveying and try and find out how many there are actually out there. And the population estimates of the wildcat, uh, even just since I've been really involved in the world, have really dropped um, quite drastically. And that's not because we've lost um, 3,000 in the last uh, 10 years. It's just because we've just done much more rigorous surveying and uh, through camera traps and teams of volunteers going out to remote locations to set up camera traps. And what they'll often do is they'll put um, some valerian um, route out there to try and entice cats in. They'll hang up some um, food, so a quail, maybe a dead quail and try and entice cats in. And they've just been finding out that there really aren't many out there at all. Um, so the wildcat, it got official protection in something called the Wildlife and Countryside Act, um, which is legislation in Britain that we use to protect wildlife and certain habitats. And uh, the wildcat got its protection, I believe it was in the 1980s. So up to that point, they were pretty much fair game if you wanted to kill them. If you owned a, 
uh, a farm and you wanted to protect your poultry, yep, you could kill them with no repercussions. If you owned a grouse more and you wanted to kill them to protect your grouse, yep, no repercussions. So we've only really, in the grand scheme of things, started to protect wildcats within the last 40 years. Um, and we've really just understood the dire situation they're in in the last 20 years. And that's really just been confirmed, I'd say, in the last 10 years, really. And Scottish Wildcat Action was set up um, a government-backed initiative to try and save wildcats in some of their last refuges of the Scottish Highlands. And initially, six areas were identified around the Scottish Highlands to try and protect wildcats within there. Um, and the numbers within these areas varied. Um, some of them were um, nearly up to 20, and some of them may have had only nine wildcats. Um, and there was a six-year, I think a six, five, six-year plan to try and find out exactly how many were in these areas, protect those ones, remove domestic feral cats from those areas, and try and make it so that the only cats that could breed within those areas uh, were wild cats. And what we found is even within the last six years of that project running, that wild cat numbers have dropped in those areas and in some cases dropping from like i said some had nine dropping to completely zero and we're not seeing any wildcats in those areas now can you tell us a little bit about scottish wildcat action and the different elements of the program i mean there's more to it than just captive breeding which you're involved in and we'll discuss in some detail um but it is a nationwide program with a number of different organizations taking part and doing different things, um, as I understand it, from captive breeding to land management to um, neutering and trying to control the, the feral cat population. As you mentioned, Scottish Wildcat Action is a consortium of uh, over 20 organizations. And in the early days, they brought a lot of people around the table to discuss how are we going to protect and conserve and actually promote and try and help this species thrive again? Um, a, a lot of people came out of that meeting. Some of them were happy, but some people thought that maybe more extreme measures could be taken. Obviously, there's an animal welfare um, issue in, in controlling um, feral cats. Um, and in Britain, we are a nation of cat lovers. And if there were if there was news of uh, this killing of feral cats um, to help the wild cat, it might have given the um, it might have provided a lot of bad press, and not a lot of people uh, would have got behind supporting the wild cat. So that's why it was the decision was taken to neuter domestic feral cats. But there is also um, an advantage to neutering them. Um, if you neuter, vaccinate a domestic feral cat and then release it back into uh, one of these priority areas I touched on earlier where wild cats are living, then it's not going to pass on any diseases to the wild cats. It's not going to mate with the wild cats, but it is going to hold a territory and stop other feral cats moving in. So there is an advantage to doing the um, trap new to vaccinate release. Um, so those discussions took place and that was the plan that was put forward or one of the elements of the plan um surveying was done and that's when six areas were identified to have 
the uh, best uh, wildcat populations. And those six areas were then um, scaled up to have the potential range for 40 wildcats. And within that range, um, a an employee of Scottish Wildcat Action would work with local communities, do a lot of camera trapping, and they would do things such as give talks to the public to um, obviously let them know about the wildcats living near them and help them understand that getting their cats at home neutered and vaccinated or is only going to benefit the wildcat. Um, so the communities were really brought into these, um, were brought into the project. And not only did they, obviously, a lot of them feel pride about living alongside wildcats um, and almost feeling obliged to help because they are one of the last places to have wildcats. Um, it's, a, it's a two-pronged effort to save the wildcat and that was one of the prongs was a lot of this work being done in the field in those six areas um the other side is what agus is a part of and we work with the royal zoological society of scotland who have the stud book for all of the wildcats within british collections so quite a few collections across the country uh, that had wildcats were then tasked with um, having their cats genetically tested and submitting their lineages of their cats, so who their ancestors were. And um, this way, the stud book keeper could put together a, a big family tree and with all of the genetic information as well, could start to figure out what quality of wild cats we had here and then start thinking about, okay, we've got maybe 60 in the captive population how are we going to scale this up in the healthiest way to keep their genes as diverse as possible um, so it was always with one eye to releasing wild cats from our collections back into the wild we had to go through the motions a bit we had to confirm that there weren't many out there we had to try and save the ones in the wild first which unfortunately hasn't worked um, through no fault of Scottish Wildcat Action's work, um, it just seems that um, it was almost, if, if this had been implemented maybe 20 years ago, it'd be a different story, but it was just too late for the ones in the wild. Um, and I think a lot of people were reluctant to really accept that the, the Wildcat was in this predicament. And so a couple of years ago, uh, a Scottish Wildcat Action task the IUCN cat specialist group to do an independent review of the situation of the wildcat in Scotland so they looked at all of the data collected by Scottish wildcat action and other volunteers and organizations and they could then conclude independently without any politics um, that the Scottish wildcat was functionally extinct and they then made a few recommendations on how Scottish um, conservationists could proceed with trying to restore the Scottish wildcat and releasing them from the collections that we currently have in Britain was one of those suggestions. And a lot of people agree that is the right decision. And um, obviously we do here at Aegis agree as well. So um, it's great to finally get to this stage where everybody's in the loop, everybody 
has the data now to officially say, yes, we need to release these cats back into the wild. What role then specifically does a program like the captive breeding program there at Agus play in the overall picture? Because I'm curious what the goals of the project there at, at Agus and the larger um, uh, control of a captive breeding population across Scotland is, and, and how does it fit into the puzzle of saving the Scottish wildcat? Within Agus Field Centre, there's loads of different elements. We have a lot of uh, conservation projects, like I said, taking place on the estate. Um, but we also have um, guests who come to stay on the estate. Um, we have up to 800 guests who come to stay here um, who want to do either a, a course on natural history that might be fungi or it might be invertebrates um, or just general wildlife. And these people help fund the conservation projects through their visits. Um, so I get the opportunity to um, talk to these people every week in a in a normal year. I would be talking to people every week um, and discussing the the Scottish wildcat with them. And this obviously gives us a responsibility to pass on this information and not just of the wildcat, but obviously the the conservation work taking place to save the wildcat. So we have this education role. Um, we also have uh, an environmental education charity on site who do a lot of work with schools and they also spread the word about um, the Scottish wildcat and the issues facing it. So we have a big education role. Um, away from that, the role of our conservation breeding program is to provide uh, numbers of wildcats that can be released back into the future. And it's not just a numbers game, it's also... It's a quality game as well. So we don't just want to breed any cat with any cat that we have. And the stud pit keeper passes on the information to us who would be the best matches. Our role is to provide these cats that will either themselves go back into the wild or for them to produce more kittens that will potentially go back into the wild. And so your population now has just grown, actually. Big news just released recently. You have had three kittens born uh, this spring, bringing uh, the number of your wildcat population to 11. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. The captive population across the country stands at, or it should stand after this spring, at maybe 100 and, oh, 110 to 120 individuals. And so we have 11 cats, but as I said, it's not all about numbers. It's, it's also about quality. So we have two pairs that have been um, recommended to breed this year. And it's been great because both of those pairs have produced kittens. Uh, one pair produced two kittens and they actually produced two last year. And one pair have produced one kitten. And Often the first question I'll get after mentioning the number of kittens is, oh, that's a quite a small number. And they do have, on average, smaller litters than domestic cats. And it could be for a number of reasons. The wild cats on the continent, um, the European continent, they are the same subspecies as the, the wild cats we have here in Scotland. Although there are some slight differences in their appearance, they are effectively the same. Um, but they do have larger litters on average, and that may be to do with the habitat. So it may be that 
wild cats in Europe have more kittens because there's more food, it's more abundant, and so it's easier to raise that many kittens. And the wild cats in Scotland are dealing with a an environment where they've got to go further afield to to get as much food. So it may be an evolutionary adaption. Um, there is another theory that it may be an expression of um, a certain degree of well, a small population breeding amongst itself. So maybe a slight degree of inbreeding um, as a result of them being so heavily persecuted and pushed up into a tiny population into the northwest of Scotland, um, even more restricted than it is today, about 100 years ago. It's one thing to have a good, diverse, captive population, but obviously the, the goal of all of this is to release wildcats back into the wild to increase the, the wild population. And I've seen on your website that you have created natural habitat enclosures where the cats are captive, and yet it's as natural a an enclosure or a habitat that they, they live in within their enclosure. You must have to go to great pains to try and limit the human interaction with the animals, um, especially as we move closer to getting to a point where, where there will be some of these animals released back into the wild. So, of course, uh, keeping human interaction with the wildcats is always in our mind when, when we're feeding them and carrying out animal husbandry. Um, and it will be absolutely vital with the cats that are earmarked for release. And they will they will be in pre-release training enclosures where they're going to have real ample space to hunt the prey that is released into their enclosures. So humans actually shouldn't have to get too close to them. Of course, they will have to have vet checks um, and whether that can be done, excuse me, remotely, then they, they obviously will do that where they can. But for the cats that we have in our, in our collections, if we were to release them, we would really human kind of presence to an absolute minimum. But um, we keep it to a minimum really for the sake of the cat and for their um, kind of breeding success. If there were humans around all the time, um, we would really um, probably put a, a bre- the brakes on their breeding. That, although humans aren't there all the time, but it's just unnecessary stress for some cats. Yeah, keeping human presence to a minimum is always ideal but when we're not releasing those specific cats it's not a necessity and I have documented um, firsthand just how um, wild these cats still are and how yeah untamable their well they have this untamable reputation and I can definitely see that is still the case with cats that we have even you know, these cats, their ancestors have been in captivity for the past um, 50 years or so. Um, they do still retain that that wildness. And I think putting them back out into the wild um, is not going to be a problem. That must be difficult because anyone who sees pictures of a Scottish wildcat, they just look like, you know, just great big adorable domestic moggies that you just want to pick up and hold and cuddle and pet. And uh, they look like just giant you know tabby cats and i gather that's really not a part of their uh their personality to be cuddled and become domesticated no you're right and people really love the image of a wild cat hissing baring its teeth and with its ears down the kind of quintessential image of a scottish wild cat uh, and rightly so because they do pull that face quite often 
but you, you do get well I, I try and get photos of them where they're not necessarily doing that to try and show that the, the nicer side to them but they are yeah they are very very fierce very untamable and if you think about it people have lived alongside wildcats in britain for thousands of years and they haven't domesticated them the domestic cats that we have living alongside us in britain today and across the world actually are the ancestors of cats that were domesticated in africa and have subsequently made their way across the world yeah i was reading where the the scottish wildcat is actually a cousin to uh, those ancestral cats and yet as we've discussed the domestic cat perhaps not your you know your pet moggy but feral domestic cats and the hybridization the breeding with them is probably the largest threat to the natural wildcat population so how important is educating the public to proper pet ownership and care and at the same time controlling the feral cat population yeah the two go hand in hand almost um it's uh, quite frustrating that there is very very little um restrictions on cat owners in britain and almost etiquette of um cat ownership really and uh, people can be forgiven for this because um some people are so almost they're disconnected from nature and through no fault of their own it's just the way that um, society is in some parts especially if you live in an urban area and they think that their cats are the ones that should be outside and it's natural for them to be outside when actually the cats that people have in their homes are an alien species and they're not supposed to be here so the number of feral cats out in the wild in britain is um well it's too high to count really and that's only going to get bigger if um, people aren't forced or rewarded for neutering their cat um, or limiting the number of litters that they have. Um, so that does really need to be addressed. Uh, wildcat um, and domestic cat hybridization, it, it's a symptom. It is a threat, but it's a symptom of the persecution and habitat loss they faced for the last, um, well, 200 years, really. Um, when you look at places in Europe, um, other big European countries, uh, Germany, uh, France, Spain, they, they all have wildcat populations. Switzerland's got an increase in wildcat population. And they all have um, human populations that have domestic cats. But they're in nowhere near the same predicament that we are in Scotland in terms of hybridisation. We've got 100% hybridisation in Scotland. We don't really have two distinct populations. We don't have a wildcat population and a a domestic cat population we've got everything in between so it's very hard to identify those populations whereas in europe they've got um still very distinct populations between the domestic cats that you have at home and and the wild living wild cats so it's hard to say whether scotland is maybe ahead of the curve in terms of maybe what other european countries are yet to face or whether our ancestors were so good at killing wildcats and removing their habitat that um, we're unique in in the result that we've got and the reason european cats are still doing very well is because a wild cat can find another wild cat to breed with um, and if it hybridizes and a hybrid is produced that hybrid that's living in the wild is very likely to bump into a wild cat 
um, and then its offspring are actually going to lean more towards the wildcat end of the genetic spectrum. And over time, it's only going to um, meet more wildcats down the line and and pass on more wildcat genes. So they've got these healthy heartlands, as I like to describe, of wildcats, where wildcats meet other wildcats. In Britain, uh, we don't have that anymore. A wildcat is very unlikely to meet another wildcat and very likely to meet a domestic feral cat. So we need to restore those wild, healthy heartlands for our wildcats to stand a chance. And once we do, um, we should hopefully get into a similar situation that um, other European countries are, where they have very minimal hybridization. But we do have to remove the um, the hybrids, the, these kind of 50% hybrids, and any domestic feral cats out there, and try and restore two distinct populations. Um, so the domestic cats at home and then the wild cats in the wild. Let's go back to Agus for a moment then. You have an, an ecotourism uh, business as a part of what uh, the estate is all about. And it is possible for uh, guests who come and take part in some of the various programs there at Agus to actually uh, have an opportunity to see Scottish wildcats through your captive breeding program. Yeah. And it's a really rewarding part of my job, actually. And um, obviously, I work with these animals day in, day out. And I see the the great highlights. I get to see the kittens when they're uh, first emerging from their dens. But I also go around picking up cat feces and leftover cat kills and things. So um, I get to see the, the good and the bad. But I do get, obviously, a views of them every day. So uh, of course, I still appreciate their beauty and just their, their fierce nature. But when I see that in somebody else, getting to see them for the first time, uh, an animal that in the wild is very elusive and not many people are going to get the chance to see, it's always it's always a treat. Currently, we have five enclosures, four of which are off-show, and we have one on-show enclosure. So we built a hide onto the side of one of our enclosures the on-show enclosure we take people in everyone's very quiet but they do get to um, take a few photos of um, the cats if they're out and about Um, the cats that we have in the on-show enclosure are past breeding age well the female is past breeding age she's actually the fourth oldest cat wild cat in the collections across the whole country Um, so she's 12 years old and she's absolutely gorgeous. She's got this big, bushy, blunt-ended tail, which is the quintessential characteristic of a wild cat. So she's an absolute beauty to photograph. And because she's spent her life in captivity, she is quite uh, used to seeing humans. So she's not too afraid. So she wouldn't be an ideal candidate for release for many reasons. But um, she often does show quite nicely for um, people who wish to see a cat. Um, there's also a, a, a male in there with her who is um, five years old and he's obviously a, a brilliant looking cat at that age. He's in his prime. So our guests currently get to see those two cats 
And speaking of the enclosures, you've recently just built a new enclosure. And as I understand it, that was at least in part funded through a crowdfunding program. And um, you're now actually moving into a second phase of construction there. And again, are operating a crowdfunding page. And I know that uh, there there are opportunities by which um, members of the public can sponsor one or more of your cats. So I guess the question I have is how important is public funding to a program like this? Absolutely. Uh, the work that we're doing here wouldn't be possible without the support of um, the guests. It's often the guests that come to Aegis, although obviously people do um, hear about us, um, such as platforms such as yours, um, and want to um, help support this this project. Um as I mentioned earlier, the work in the field, a lot of this, the monitoring, the surveying, and the next phase of the project with the pre-release training enclosure that's being built um, at the Highland Wildlife Park, that has got some um, government funding and, and European funding. But actually, a project like ours, which is has been absolutely vital for the um, conservation of the wildcat, um, has received no government funding. And no support from um, kind of yeah, central government at all to um, keep us going. So, um, Aegis started it um, off of its own back with its own funds um, because it felt that this was an important conservation project. And um, of course, there are plenty of conservation projects out there to get involved with these days, but this one was on our doorstep. And it's one that we felt we could actually have a huge um, impact on and actually make a difference. And uh, we're very fortunate here on the estate. We've got space to build enclosures. We've got um, the staff and expertise to actually breed wildcats here. So that's why we got involved. And we started off with, like I said, um, two breeding pairs. And since then, um, within the last nine years, our, our population is growing up to 11 at the moment. And we're hoping to play a big role in not only introducing wildcats back into Scotland in the more immediate future but hopefully to places in England and Wales in the in the years to come so um, we want to improve the facility that we have here at Aegis by increasing the number of enclosures connecting those enclosures with tunnels so we can move cats around um, without having to trap them which keeps um, again human interaction um, to a minimum and also keeps stress to an absolute minimum um, but like I said, we, we wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for the support of the people that, that get to see the cats and or just hear about the cats. So, um, again, that's one of the great things about showing people the cats is not only the joy that they get by seeing them, is, but when they see them, they I think it's the same for any species, really. If you see it and you appreciate its beauty or it, it, its, its presence, you, you want to help it. So certainly people seeing the cats... Um, makes them want to help which is absolutely brilliant and something that I was um, surprised about when I got involved was actually the amount of support that we did have from the United States uh, and from people overseas um, people in European countries that want to help the wildcat in Scotland. To your mind since you're obviously critically involved in this conservation project what will signal success to you and others involved in wildcat action to say, you know, it worked, huzzah, we've <laughs> saved the wildcat? Um, I don't know if it will be a moment or if it will just be a gradual change in feeling. Um, because at the moment, when you talk about wildcats, 
it's often a conversation like the one that we've been having it's about what can we do to save them and how rare it is to see one and how special it is to see one um i mean of course i always hope it is special to see one but it would be nice um when the narrative changes and we can start talking about um oh i can't believe the wildcat used to be in such a predicament and and now people get to see them every time they come to scotland now and um it's gonna be i think that'll be the time um for me when i know it's been a success obviously um there'll be all of the scientific monitoring that takes place after the cats are released or they're, they're going to have radio collars so we know how well they're doing um and we know if they're going to have kittens and just if they're staying in one location for a long time and returning to that location we'll know that they've got a litter of kittens so um i guess maybe officially is when we we start having litters of kittens born from cats that are released we'll know that um the work that we've been doing is um is really is really achieving something in the wild and i think that'll be a big milestone for me is to know that a cat that we've potentially bred here or um, a cat that we've bred here and its ancestors um, or its descendants sorry that have gone on to be released and when those cats start having kittens in the wild I think I'll um, I'll, um, I'll take a moment and be um, yeah very 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 proud and very happy of the work that's taken place. I'm a cat person and that brought me to want to know more about the Scottish wildcat and how I can help and, and this program hopefully is one way of doing that but on on the general scope of things why should the world care about the scottish wildcat other species have come and gone sadly no doubt but but they have so what makes the scottish wildcat different why should we save the scottish wildcat it's a difficult question because there's so many answers to that question and um i guess in summary I think everyone who's um, tuned into the natural world or just even looks at the news every once a week or so to get a summary knows that the the environment on a global scale and the natural world is is under threat and everybody needs to change things they do in their everyday life to to reverse that or turn it around. Um, if you look at the wildcat in a British context, it's one of our last predators. Um, we've lost so many already. Um, in America, you're still blessed in some areas by having some of this megafauna, some some predators, some top-down control on some of your herbivores. Um, we don't have that in a lot of places in Britain. Obviously, we have scavengers and some medium-sized predators, but the wildcat is really one of our last. And if we were to lose that again, we would lose another part of the wild in Britain, of which we've already lost so much. So it's a symbol of the wild. It's a symbol of predators in Britain. And I hope one day that we can welcome back more predators. And we have to first learn to live alongside the wildcat in a healthy way, uh, enabling that species to survive and thrive. And so the wildcat for me is hopefully going to be a, a gateway for other species that we can work alongside in the future to bring back. Um, that's not from an Aegis point of view, but from a kind of a, a general British naturalist point of view. So we need to save them to save our countryside, really. And each animal obviously has a big impact or has an impact on um, the rest of the species in its habitat. Uh, 
um, when you look at food webs, etc. And some species have a bigger impact than others. The the European beaver or beavers in general have a, an exponential impact on the other animals in their habitat. Um, and the wildcat as a predator, um, again, will have a big impact by regulating prey species um, and the way it interacts with uh, other species, some of which we don't even know about, I'm sure. And it's all about trying to keep our ecosystems and our habitats our habitats as robust as possible by making sure that there's as many pieces of that habitat still there today. And the more robust they are, like I said, with the more species still present and the more uh, they're going to be able to tackle climate change of the future and still be able to provide humans with ecosystem services, um, as we're calling them now in Britain, um, it's it's hard to quantify, but they are uh, an important piece of the Scottish ecosystem. And if we were to lose them, um, our environments will suffer and there will be undocumented impacts, which aren't going to be great for our natural world, um, especially here in Scotland, obviously, if we lose them. Um, so, yeah, I think the world and Scotland would be uh, a, a poorer place for not having them. My thanks, as always, to my guest, Benjamin Jones, staff naturalist and director of the Agus Wildcat Captive Breeding Program. Oh, and about those three kittens? Well, Ben says it's unlikely any of them will be released into the wild. The program is still about one generation away from that. It's most likely the kittens will be traded out to other collections to mate and become breeding cats. But, Ben says... It's very possible that their offspring could be among the first captive-born Scottish wildcats to be released into the wild, thanks to Scottish Wildcat Action. As I noted at the beginning of this episode, you can join this battle to save the Scottish wildcat. One way you can help is by sponsoring a cat. On the Aegis website, there are a variety of sponsorship options at different levels of financial support. A link to this will be in our show notes on the website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Another option is to donate to their ongoing crowdfunding effort, currently raising funds for a second stage of construction in a new wildcat enclosure. You can also donate to the wider Scottish Wildcat Action Program. Again, links to these outlets will be in our show notes. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk more about nature and conservation as we'll visit the Blue Highlands Raptor Rescue Center. I'll tell you about a new Scottish magazine set to debut online, one of whose founders is a previous guest on this show. And we'll talk to the CEO of an organization whose role is to promote Scottish businesses across today's global economy. That's all coming up right here under the tartan sky. For now, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapalev, Agus Alpha Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter where our username is at underscore Tartan Sky. That's the underscore symbol Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.